Welcome to BizBytes, a podcast focused on technology and business. I'm your host, Anthony McMahon. In each episode, I interview New Zealand business owners and technology leaders discussing their views on the impact technology's had on business, what it might mean for the future, and their thoughts on how to adapt to the changes ahead. So you're thinking of selling products offshore. You've set up local distribution channels, got the manufacturing sorted, and your website is ready to go. What about tax? The indirect taxes, like GST and VAT, or the more complex, like the split between a state and federal tax system. As your business changes and grows, tax can become more complicated, which is why it's important to get good tax advice early. In this episode, I catch up with international tax expert Morgan Hardy from iTax Solutions to find out more. Morgan established ITS to help New Zealand exporters sell New Zealand goods and services to the world. Morgan has been working in the tax field for over 20 years, with experiences from both practices and commercial roles with multinational consultancies and companies. Combining a strong commercial focus with solid global tax understanding, his experience includes international tax, including transfer pricing and cross-border transactions, mergers and acquisitions, resolving audits and tax disputes across Europe, Asia and the US, both at state and federal level, tax planning and tax compliance management. Good morning, Morgan. Welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for your time and coming on as a guest. Good morning, Anton. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, not often ever someone wants to uh, get together and talk about tax. Usually drives people away. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity, mate. Thank you. A- absolutely. Look, it's, it's it's we tackle some of the bigger issues here. Um, we've, we've we've done tax today on this episode. Uh, the next episode coming up, I'm actually going to be talking to uh, a couple from a law firm from Hudson Gavin Martin about um, the legal implications of tech. Uh, we've talked risk, we've talked security. Yeah, and and um, before everyone starts rolling their eyes and clicking stop, stop, I don't want to hear about tax. The the the, the purpose of this is to, to to bring a slightly different lens on tax and and get people thinking um, of the implications of exporting, importing, um, and trading. So um, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, tell me a little bit about yourself, Morgan. Um, we're, you're based in Tauranga, I think it was, wasn't it? Based in Tauranga, yes, yes. Yep. Um, and just carry on with the, I guess the tax point. I've, I've heard what I do described and probably might apply to the lawyers and a few others as um, sort of the um, vital but unsexy inside of business. So uh, yep. it's not, it may not be the, the sexiest part, but it's something that you can't really escape. So, uh, um, yeah, I think it is, you know, important to to to, uh, to look into. Um, myself. So I am a international tax expert. I've um, been working in tax for over 25 years. I am uh, New Zealand's uh, tax and um, uh, qualified, uh, did my studies through Victoria for commerce and law, um, did my five years in Auckland. Then I went over for a, a two-year OE that turned into 10 years. <laughs> um, turned around one day and had a wife and two kids in London and thought, well, New Zealand's a better place to be than uh, um, London with two small boys. Yep. Uh, so I came back in 2010, but I carried on working for an international media group from, from Tauranga, managing their global tax affairs. So for the last 20 years, I've been focusing on, on international tax um, from you know, UK and, U- and European perspective, but also in the last 10 years, pretty more of a focus on Asia and the US, given the, the time zones. Uh, so that's sort of where I began to see a lot of the changes in can, to talk about with indirect taxes uh, and realise how much of an impact that can have on um, our exporters. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it's interesting in the last you know, 10 to 15 years, um, how much of a, a challenge that has brought about for, for companies. You know, traditionally, if you go back, uh, and, and when I say go back, I'm talking go back 100 years, 
um, exporters paid tariffs, they paid customs. That was about the length of it. They got it into a country and then someone else took care of the resale and, uh, and, and, and dealt with the local obligations because it became their job. Um, but the digital economy and the online economy and the ability to build a product in New Zealand and ship it around the world at the click of a button um, changes that. So your, your customs and your duties are gone, but suddenly you're making income in 15 different territories. And that's where it becomes quite tricky, isn't it? It's not just Definitely. I, I, not just I pay income tax in New Zealand and away we go. There's, there's as you said, there indirect tax. There's so much more to it that um, uh, if you're not thinking about properly can really trip companies up. And you really hit the nail on the head with the digital economy um, because that has changed the way we all do business globally, um, the way we are able to um, access markets without actually having people on the ground there, uh, and the way we can sort of control a bit more of the distribution chain. Whereas previously, as you note, if you want to export, you really would sell to a distributor, and once it leaves the shores, because it leaves our shore, yeah, we don't care about it. Mm. But um, we have the ability now to. Um, actually operate in markets and communicate with customers in real time. So it changes the way we, we do business. And, and tax authorities have been struggling for the last 10 to 15 years to keep up with that, actually. Um, they've been watching the digital economy change the way we, they do business, like the way people mm-hmm. do business. Uh, but the tax rules weren't really fit for purpose to uh, to apply taxes in the way that kept every country happy. And so that's been the battle over the last 10 years and why we've seen uh, quite a few changes in the last two to three years uh, where tax authorities around the world have tried to reach an agreement on how they sort of tax the digital economy uh, and failed to reach agreement has sort of started going their own way with their own indirect taxes. So uh, yeah, the digital economy has both been a, a great um, opportunity for the Australasian mm-hmm. exporters, but it does change the way um, business is done. You know, you can even sit in New Zealand now uh, and arrange to facilitate the sale of goods from one country outside New Zealand to another country outside New Zealand. So, you know, you don't even need to be um, physically touching any, any product, but you can be facilitating the sales and that can have uh, implications. Definitely. And and some of the, the, the drive that's been behind it have been the, the, the big companies, the, the Googles of the world who have gone and based themselves in different jurisdictions for tax purposes. I mean, yeah, we've, we've always had tax havens. We've always had countries who have favourable tax rules, but we've seen um, big companies who make billions of dollars of profit going and basing themselves offshore to benefit from that. And that's sort of started to react, uh, drive the the governments and the tax departments within those countries to to think differently about how they might um, uh, collect and enforce on, on tax rules, hasn't it? Definitely. Um, and, and as from a time in the UK, it had another impact too, and that's on public perception. Uh, mm. you know, the corporate taxes became quite a hot topic. Um, and from a PR perspective for a company or from a um, reputational risk point of view, taxing became a boardroom issue because uh, if people were, uh, if companies were identified as not being compliant, um, it could have quite negative um, perception uh, issues amongst the customer base. So mm. um, it's getting more complex, but also it's become a, a hot topic in terms of fairness. Mm. Mm. Definitely, definitely. And and the the other side, the, the, the fairness, but also um, for those of us who buy online, so um, music uh, out of Spotify, or, or sorry, music out of out of Google Play or, or games out of Google Play or, or at the Apple Store. Um, we have been bypassing some of the the local tax elements as well, um, not maliciously, obviously, but you know, not necessarily paying GST on a purchase. 
Um, and the government has then missed out on some of that tax take. And that's the bit they're trying to catch up with as well, is how to make sure that everyone pays their share um, for the services they consume. Definitely. And I think there's two things to that. Firstly, um, technology has allowed tax authorities to start looking at those those areas because previously uh, for low value imports going into a country, there's no real um, mechanism for checking whether tax had been collected on those. It's just too, too difficult. Uh, and so no one was breaking any rules by importing from overseas. I'm reminded of an old saying that there's no such thing as equity or fairness in tax. You know, it's, it's, it is or it isn't. You know, it's based on laws. The laws say you can do this and can't do that. So it's not really about fairness, but certainly for um, local retailers competing with um, o- o- offshore vendors who don't have to charge GST, they're at a pricing disadvantage. They have been find that as a problem for a while. Um, so mm. the fact that the rules we previously didn't require people to collect GST doesn't make buying from overseas vendors wrong. It's just the way the law was uh, written then. The laws are changing in part because uh, tax authorities now have the technology to try and chase uh, and trace um, uh, the shipments and purchases mm. from over, over, off, offshore. Now, I know examples in Asia where tax authorities actually get uh, credit card company information to work out who's buying what from out, from offshore. Uh, and and also the rules around uh, customs declarations are changing and everything's being digitised now. So there's a massive amount of information on goods flows around the world that is all going to uh, tax authorities. So they have mm. technology to start uh, enforcing these rules. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and you're right there. It's it's the the level playing field. Um, that that while it might be good for the purchaser that they're not paying a a, a share of tax that they would if they're buying locally, uh, it makes it very hard for for everyone to compete. And that's not good for the global. Oh, sorry, for the local economy. Um, it's great for the global economy because there's moving money moving. But locally, it's those 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 suppliers, those people who may be trying to import or even um, uh, deliver a a competing product. Um, that's homegrown. They just can't. Um, they can't get the share of the wallet because people like me are going. Well, I'll just go over there and buy it because I don't have to pay the tax, or it's cheaper because it's been done on mass. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, mean, I guess we're not here to moralise around that, but it is something that uh, you can certainly understand. Mm. Um, local retailers, mm. uh, that's unfair. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But the same goes um, the other way for 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 those that are producing here and exporting. We're not just talking about um, software. Uh, developers here, um, but anyone who's producing anything locally and shipping it offshore, they're also then benefiting from some of those favourable tax. Um, I don't want to say loopholes because they're not a loophole. Um, it's the way that they're, they're benefiting from the way that other tax structures may not have caught up. Certainly, um, and like if you look at the the UK uh, where the the VAT the, the VAT rate is twenty percent, that's quite a significant margin. So. Um, you know, and, and if people have been selling to the uh, UK and not having to charge the VAT, then they've had just had a that's a beneficial position under the laws as they stood. Um, the UK did change the laws actually from the beginning of January, so that low value items that are shipped into the UK now need to have VAT collected at source. So um, while there was that advantage, and it's quite a legitimate advantage if that's the way the rules um, are, are, are written. Um, just about being aware that sort of those rules are changing, so the risks may sort of start to um, appear as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I mean, as we say, I can't blame people for getting around it. But but one of the the, the challenges for for companies, and this is where a tax 
expert becomes highly valuable, not not and not just an accountant, but as someone who's actually familiar with global tax works, is if you're shipping to 10, 20, 50 countries, that's potentially 50, if not more, when you get into the fact that, um, that the US has their, their federal and then their state tax uh, systems around, but also the EU with their different tax. Yeah, you could be shipping into 180 different tax environments purely because you're only sh- because of the countries you're shipping to. Certainly, and so um, you can end up having a lot of different um, taxes applying, and whether that's uh, in terms of the taxes that are charged in import, you want to make sure you reclaim, or the fact you need to account for taxes to uh, another um, country. That raises questions around your ERP system to make sure, you know, as your business evolves, as the taxes evolve, do you have the flexibility to ensure you're capturing the information that you need to ensure you can be compliant? Because uh, if you're requiring a lot of manual cobbling together of information for your tax compliance, you know, it starts to get very costly just in the resources required to comply with that. So mapping out your information flows becomes a key, uh, key, a key factor. Yeah, yeah. So something you touched on in there is the uh, ERP system that companies are using. Uh, and, and there's a lot of good information that can be stored in an ERP, product information particularly. Um, but systems themselves don't necessarily know all the tax implications. And, and you could get yourself in a horrible, horrible data swamp by trying to um, program that into the ARP with with tax rules for this product, tax rules for this product, and if we're shipping this product to, to the US, but to California, then it's got these rules, and if we're going over there, uh, that's not a pathway you want to get down to, and that's where, again, that, that expertise in international tax becomes highly valuable to companies that are shipping offshore, because you just can't expect technology to do it all. No, and there are a lot of great platforms you can plug into uh, if you're an e-commerce um, uh, vendor. There, there are uh, plugins you can... Uh, uh, integrate to allow that sales tax in the US to be calculated and simplify that. But it does certainly require an understanding of what um, you are selling and to whom and what the implications are to decide either what uh, integrations may be required or just the infrastructure that you do need to uh, ensure you get the information um, out that you need. Because uh, there's always there's two parts. One is understanding uh, what you do need to do, information you need to capture, uh, and then the second is implementing that and making sure that um, your staff can pull out the information that they need when they need it. It's a key part of your, your tax risk management. Mm, definitely, definitely. Um, and, and that's something I actually just want to come back to. We, we talked about companies like Google going offshore um, for, for favourable tax purposes. Um, but there's a point you made in, in some of the, the notes that you sent through ahead of this that, that I think is is quite interesting as well is that sometimes the companies are, are trying to structure their tax in a way that it's a lower admin overhead on them um so yeah okay there's we, we we won't pretend they're not trying to get favorable tax outcomes but by trying to structure everything so it flows through one company it's reducing their admin and it's reducing their overhead um significantly and therefore making them more efficient and that, that's something we probably don't bring into the narrative often enough would, would you agree with that Mm, definitely, though, there's certainly definitely efficiencies from scale, and um, you know there are um, advantages in having this one entity doing all of the selling, for example, because then it's easier to to, to map what's happening. If you have multiple entities in multiple locations doing uh, each selling, um, you can very quickly have quite a spider web of different outcomes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and um, 
you know, going again going back 10 15 years it, it may have been that you needed someone in with local knowledge boots on the ground knowledge to advise you on the tax rules of the different countries you were in but that information has become digital so you can sit there in Tauranga and and be um fluent in exactly and um your digitization is a big thing amongst tax authorities um you know, look, there are some countries like India, China, and Brazil where they're very bureaucratic and you need people on the ground. Um, and if anyone tells you anything different, uh, I'd be questioning that. Uh, but for most tax authorities, they're moving towards a um, to digital filing. Uh, that's partly to make it easier, partly also to allow them to request more information. And a lot of tax authorities are, are requiring filing to be digital uh, so they can also receive the underlying transaction data. Mm. So, you know, that can be, uh, be be managed from anywhere in the world, provided you have uh, the connections to the tax authorities, the digital connections, uh, plus also the understanding. Yeah, definitely. And, and that is, in your view, is that where um, accounting systems such as Xero, MYOB, become uh, increasingly relevant to to a modern company because of the the connections and the information and the rules that they hold within them is, uh, is companies uh, i guess the question i'm asking there is companies that aren't using those are making it incredibly hard on themselves yes and no um so uh zero's a fantastic company and, and um one of the limitations on the tax side is the way it's set up is you have a super zero organization Mm -hmm. And um, you can then file your taxes, you say GST returns in New Zealand, uh, automatically through zero. So they've set up an API link with the IRD and allow those taxes to be filed. They also have uh, the API, API links with other tax authorities. So you can file your, your VAT returns in the UK, um, either directly or with plugins, file your tax returns in the US, your sales tax returns. However, what... Um, Zero currently doesn't allow you to do is to uh, file in multiple jurisdictions under the uh, single zero organization. So zero is a very powerful tool for that, uh, but you end up getting a little bit tricky that you need to have set up multiple organizations in order to use zero to file in multiple jurisdictions uh, for the one business or, or company. Yeah. So. Nice. And 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 I was actually um, was doing a experiment on Zero the other day to see how easy it was to set up multiple companies under one Zero account. Um, it can't be done. It's quite simple. <laughs> the answer to that is what I found out. Um, and and I guess and that's they call it the, the organisation. And really, for a separate organisation, you need to have a, an extra subscription. So you yeah. could be in a position where you have multiple subscriptions to access the different tax filing capabilities around the world, you know, or then look for a separate um, uh, mechanism for doing that filing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, something you did talk about at the start of this as well is indirect tax. Um, and for, for the benefit of those who might not be familiar with the term, do you, do you want to explain what's meant by indirect tax there and, and, and why that's relevant for companies to be thinking of um, in their export cycle? Yeah, certainly. So taxes fall into two broad buckets. We call direct taxes. So those are taxes that are paid directly to the, um, the government, the tax authority, uh, and they'll be like income taxes. So uh, companies pay, pay the tax to the tax authority, the tax on their profits. And then there are indirect taxes. So those are taxes that are uh, paid through an intermediary. 
uh, and GST is, is the best example. Uh, so GST is collected by a vendor. They include GST within their prices. They collect that GST from the customer. Um, they may offset any GST they pay against that, uh, and their net GST liability is paid over to the, the government. So you have businesses there or, or other intermediaries acting as a tax collector, if you like, for indirect taxes. Yeah, got you, got you. And that's you know, GST here, VAT in, in the UK. Um, different different services have, uh, or sorry, different countries have different names for it, but it's all the same thing. And it, it's something that you've still got to factor into a pricing model um, as you go through. Definitely factor into a pricing model, but also because indirect taxes such as GST, VAT and sales tax are based on revenue rather than profits, the actual amount of the tax at stake can um, can get quite large quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a business that's not profitable, but because you are selling, you are incurring indirect tax liabilities. Um, so yeah, they can very quickly dwarf um, any, any profits that are made. Yeah, and, and coming from a, a banking background, I started my career in a banking environment. That was one of the, the conversations we often came across with the reason companies failed um, was because they hadn't taken into account their locally, their GST bill. Um, and I think we've, we've used the acronym a few times for those, because um, I know there's a few international listeners, for those who aren't familiar with GST, it's goods and services tax, which is the New Zealand um, version of value-added tax in other jurisdictions. Um, but yeah, what we often found was that companies failed because they didn't account for their GST portion of the in, of the revenue um they just used one big transactional account that the, that the money churned in and out of um and then the tax bill came along and the, the tax man went well i don't care what you did with the money yeah exactly you owe me um 15 or 12 and a half as it was a few years back yeah and so those numbers can get quite large um so it's very important for our own um, internal processing to ensure that uh, you're aware of uh of those liabilities and don't just treat the uh um, the, the indirect tax received as free cash flow. Correct, correct. And um, set the structures up so that it's moved into a separate bank account, or that it's that it's left to its own devices, so that it's not, um, yeah, it's it's not a it's not a slush fund and it's not an emergency fund. It is genuine tax that has to be paid. But as you say, um, there are there are uh, again, it's not loopholes. It's it's the structure can work in your favour with that sometimes too. Definitely, and that's what's making sure that um, you, you adopt a, a structure that's uh, most appropriate for you. I mean, generally, you wouldn't um, organize, design a operating structure around the tax impacts. Um, you always want to understand what the tax impacts are, but you know, I'd always say, yeah, look first at your commercial requirements and make sure it works best for your customers, suppliers and staff, um, rather than just the tax outcome. Because if you introduce tax complexity just for the sake of it, you know, that can start to get, that can grate after a, after a while. Uh, but uh, understanding what the tax implications are of the way you're operating is, is essential. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where accountants, um, chartered, chartered professional accountants, uh, play a hugely valuable role um, that's often underlooked. And if I've got any accountants uh, listening, um, I've just met, did a massive plug for your industry, so you can send um, bottles of whiskey. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. But... Uh, not taking that away, and in New Zealand or, or in France or in Britain or wherever you're working, your accountant will know your tax rules inside out, but they may not know the tax rules of other countries. So again, it comes into um, that, that value of having international tax knowledge around you as well. Exactly. It's probably worth making the point that we are 
um, talk, generalizing a lot in this discussion around um, how the taxes will apply to in different countries as different people. Um, you know, the devil's always in the detail. So if you hear something here, you think, oh, well, actually, that applies to me. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, does, but it's always worth checking with your advisor just to make sure that your particular fact pattern does fit with what uh, yeah, you, the interpretation you, you're taking. So um, trying to give a lot of uh, uh, general information here, but it's never a substitute for uh, making sure the way you think it applies actually does. Yeah, it's it's probably a good caveat. We should we should this this podcast does not constitute tax advice. Uh, <laughs> talk to your tax advisor. Uh, this is just uh, general in nature. Um, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> uh, I think from um, you mentioned before right, about the changes with the digital economy. Um, we talked about the difference between direct tax and indirect tax. I, I focus these days on indirect tax, and the reason for that is. Um, indirect tax is sort of the real growth area in global taxes uh, because countries have struggled to find a, a common framework for dealing with the digital economy. Uh, many countries have gone to what they call the destination principle and, and mm. to say, well, basically, if you're selling to my customers, I want a slice of that action. Mm. Uh, and the way they do that is through GST, VAT or sales tax. Um, yeah. So there are different um, types of tax, uh, but it's that... Um, the increasing scope of indirect taxes that are, are something that I think exporters do need to be, uh, be constantly aware of and and, and also recognising that uh, the position will change. So, you know, we're, we're comfortable with, with your position at the moment. Uh, in a year's time, either your business might have changed or the underlying laws in various countries you're selling to might have changed. So it's always worth giving a bit of a, a health check and understanding that uh, uh, no changes adversely impact. Totally, totally, um, and and good pick up on the the, the destination principle as well. It's um, I think that's something that that everyone should be starting to understand. Is yeah, um, it's not just income tax; it is that indirect tax. That as as my products land in America, Europe, Asia, um, there is going to be uh, an expectation. Um, on on that that indirect tax as part of it as well. It's not just income and revenue. So while you might be basing everything in New Zealand and and taking advantage of that, uh, what you're shipping out is still going to be liable. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that means you, you have to pay it, or you are using the distributor who, who pays it. But um, the uh, idea of a sale being made to a foreign uh, consumer where no tax is payable, um, those that that window is closing. Someone mm. someone has to account for it. Mm -hmm. Now, there's one, and I want to talk about this for a minute because it's, it's it's a little bit topical, um, and it may or may not have a, a bearings on on tax, but it's the the MV ever given, which up until yeah. yesterday was jamming up the Suez Canal. Um, it's now free. Hopefully, traffic's flowing. <laughs> um, but uh, within there, we, we've probably got a lot of companies who have been impacted, um, revenue. Uh, income has been impacted as their yeah. goods have sat on the backing containers that's not something that is necessarily going to stop them having to pay tax though is it you know at the end of the day the tax man's in there going this still an event happened but at the end of the day you are still in business and you are still doing things so global events like that can can be adversely impact companies but they still have to consider what their tax um, element to it is as, as part of it as well Definitely. And I think there's sort of a, a side note on this. Um, I was talking recently with the head of a global, of, of a national wide um, accounting firm, and she'd noted that the inland revenue um, are sending out a lot more inquiry notices and 
you know, they are, um, you know, the, the kid gloves are, are coming off. If um, mm. there's a lot of talk around being um, lenient through the COVID period, uh, tax authorities generally are, are saying, well, now we need to start fixing balance sheets and, and recuperating some of the money that's been out through the COVID period. So um, you did write that your tax obligations continue regardless of what uh, implications, what, you know, uh, speed bumps you may have encountered from a business perspective. Uh, but those tax obligations are being more um, rigidly enforced now. And well, I, think we're, I think we're going to see more of that rigid enforcement over the coming years as uh, tax authorities seek to, um, to seek to gather funds, basically. Mm. Mm. Definitely. And, and you're right, with, with COVID, it was a different event, okay, a, a, an event that impacted business and their cash flow, um, but it impacted everyone equally. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm sort of mulling. Okay. Some 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 were impacted more than others. Um but but everyone was impacted by COVID. So it yeah. was easy for the IRD to be lenient. Um or the IRS, uh, if 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 you're in other countries as well. Correct. Yeah. Um but with the ever given sorry, bad luck. You just have to be you never know if there's some reason that resulted in penalties. You may be able to get them uh, them waived, but uh, by and large, you know, it's 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 up to you to manage your uh, commercial risk issues mm. and uh, um, yeah, c- comply with your tax obligations too. Mm, definitely, and 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 there's probably something in that that's a valuable lesson for anyone is when when it comes to tax, the best thing you can do is actually talk to the uh, tax collector, talk to the tax man, and 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 uh, the earlier the better. Uh, yeah. Instead of just assuming that it's going to be bad or that it's it's all going to blow over, if you get in touch with them and say, look, you know, we had uh, we had these products on that boat. They took two a week longer to get there, or two weeks longer to get there based on the backlog. Um, this is going to impact us on X, Y, Z. There's probably going to be an agreement they'll come to because at the end of the day, the IRD is not interested in sending you out of business. No, exactly. Businesses that go bankrupt are actually bad for tax. Yeah, um, definitely. I think yeah, most yeah. tax authorities are you know, aware of the fact they need to work with businesses, and so there will be some um, some leeway. And if uh, the tax agent can can apply it, then then they may well do that. Uh, but what I can say is, I can be one hundred percent certain that if uh, if an issue comes up and your approach is to try and ignore it or file yeah. it as unopened in the back of the filing cabinet, it's going to get worse. So oh, yeah. uh, deal with um, do it in in, in conjunction with your advisor just before calling out the tax authority. But um, yeah, ignoring these issues don't make them go away, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, and it's the same with anything. You can you can ignore an issue as long as you can. Um, it's still going to keep coming back and, and and it will snowball. It's it's You talked about um, the destination principle. I think what we can put on this one is the avalanche principle is that eventually it will overwhelm you. Totally. It's a risk that's got to be managed, but can't be ignored. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So look, Morgan, if there were three pieces of advice you had to anyone who was in the export game, who was who was exporting products overseas, um, and needed to think differently about how they approached the tax bill locally and globally, what would those three pieces of advice be? Um, you mean in terms of a bill or liability that um, you may have received, or just in terms of how you operate your business and uh, and, and deal with taxes? Uh, just how they operate their businesses and yeah. and, and how they deal with them. Um, well, I think the first principle, would, first point would be is understanding exactly what you are doing um, and whether um, in relation to a sale into a, into a customer, who's actually making that sale. Um, and that can actually be different from a 
indirect tax perspective from a you know, from an income tax perspective. Um, and if you're a say, operating an online marketplace or in some way facilitating the sale of goods from one person to a consumer, uh, many tax authorities actually will put you in the position of being the seller. So um, you can be liable for the VAT that's payable, uh, even though you are acting as the facilitator. So firstly, is, is being aware of what your, I guess, the, the legal nature of your uh, underlying sales are and how you're transacting your business uh, and making sure you're applying those facts to the, the relevant laws to understand uh, what your impact is. Um, the, the, the second point I'd probably raise is um, red flags should arise or concerns should arise if you're selling B2C. Mm-hmm. So as a broad rule with value-added taxes, that's your VATs and GSTs, mm-hmm. if you're exporting to a uh, another business, so if doing a B2B sale and that purchaser is using those goods or services as part of the business, then generally they'll apply what they call a reverse charge. So uh, you won't actually have to charge the foreign tax uh, and it's up for the purchaser to self-assess that tax. So very broadly, for B2B, uh, you, know, you quite likely won't have a foreign tax obligation. But if you're selling B2C, business to consumer, then uh, you should be thinking, well, chances are if someone needs to pay any tax, it's going to be me. Yeah. And it's worth bearing in mind there that the way you might look at B2B versus B2C uh, differs according to different countries. So if you're looking at um, the US, say, now, Within indirect taxes, there are 42 different types of tax. There's the value-added taxes, like VAT or GST, mm-hmm. where at every stage along the supply chain, uh, the tax are charged and then recovered if it's a business purchaser. And then there are retail sales taxes, where the aim is to ensure that the tax is only charged on the sale to the final consumer. So sales tax in all the US states is a retail sales tax. And so the the taxes levied on uh, on the sale of taxable products to the end consumer. So if that uh, purchaser t- happens to be a business that's not on selling your goods and services, if they're using it within their business, they could well be seen as the end consumer. So even though they are in business, they would be considered uh, that would be considered a B two C transaction. So. It's very important to know, are you selling B2B or B2C? But it's bearing in mind that B2C can be used slightly differently in the US compared mm. to, say, Europe. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And and does that, um, does that then vary across the states as well? Um, so California versus New York, are you going to see different um, different elements coming into play there if it's B2C versus B2B? Generally not in terms of that B2B, B2C, because they're all looking as to whether or not um, the purchaser is the, is the end consumer. The US, it's very common uh, amongst, amongst all the states to have what they call a reseller exemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you will, if you're selling to a business that's on selling it, you can receive a certificate from them to say that they are reselling and therefore it's exempt. Uh, sales to government, uh, the federal government are generally exempt. Uh, sales to um, agricultural businesses are, are often exempt. So the exemptions do vary from state to state. 
but the principle that if your customer is the end consumer, it's potentially a, a um, taxable transaction is consistent across the states. Uh, the other area that varies across the states is um, if it is considered a B2C transaction is whether the actual product being sold is is taxable. Uh, just as a sideline, in, in the US, there's a two-stage uh, approach you take to determining if you have a, a tax liability. The first is uh, whether you have nexus in a state, and nexus is the term uh, that identifies you have sufficient business connection that requires you to collect sales tax. So the first first level is, is the nexus, and the second is uh, is the product taxable? And it's the taxability of products that does vary a lot between states. And I think a key example there is uh, in in SaaS products. So historically, US sales tax has all, all been about the sale of tangible personal property. So if you're selling goods, then sales tax would be levied and services would not be um, subject to sales tax. The lines have been blurred a bit, particularly around software. And so most states will consider what they call canned software. So that software that's um, sold on a on a disc or downloaded to be a commodity or a product rather than a service. So that's where if you are a SaaS provider um, in, in about 26 of the states, uh, your SaaS products are potentially taxable uh, taxable products. So the key difference in the, in the, in the, across the various states is uh, the differences in what is and what is not taxable. Uh, so just because um, a product in uh, California, say, uh, California has very um, uh, nuanced rules around software, uh, just because your software may not be taxable in California does not mean it's not taxable in New York, which has a, a, a broader definition of taxable products around it in the software space. Yeah, yeah, got you, got you. And, and again, it comes into having the right people who, who, who know that to answer to you, um, that one country will have different rules. And in, in, in the case of America, 50 different rules, or 51, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because of the federal element as well. Um, and and to, to parallel that, there was um, there's a case a few years ago. It was and this we're talking data privacy now, data breach. There was I think it was Marriott Group, a hotel chain, had a massive data privacy breach, and because of where they operated, they ended up having to declare their privacy breach to over a hundred and ninety different authorities. I think it was. Um, 51 of those were in America uh, because they had to declare to each of the 50 state privacy commissions and then the federal privacy commission as well. So um, it, it's it's slightly different, but it's the same. Tax is the same as you've got 50 different, 51 different yeah. departments. Exactly. Um, so it's, it's uh, and that's where I think if there's going to be a correct one, three points, the third one will be around uh, information capture because um if if you're selling across all 50 states, you really need to know and record the information around uh, which state your customer is in that you're selling to, uh, because um, each state might have a different threshold uh, of sales levels uh, before which you need to register for, for, for taxes. And if you're not recording information historically around where your customers are, then if you do get an inquiry, it's very hard to push back 
uh, if you don't have that information. So I think the third point would be around information capture, both in terms of whether where your customers are mm-hmm. uh, and also are your customers uh, business customers or not. You know, if you're yeah. selling into the UK or the EU, you know, are you collecting the VAT numbers or same with Australia, are you collecting the GST numbers of their uh, of your customers? So that, that information capture is, is key to managing the risk and, and, and being able to manage any queries or challenges that may come in the future from the tax authorities. Definitely, definitely. Uh, and, and and that's probably a, a key piece in there is uh, we haven't touched on the CRM. We talked about ERP. We've talked about um, the, some of the financial management systems. Um, but having that integration between those, particularly towards the CRM, which does have a view of the customer um, and a lot of information about the customer, uh, it becomes critical to, 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 to do that so that you know where they are. Um, you know what what obligations you've got on them, not just from a tax perspective, but from a privacy perspective. We're talking GDPR. We're talking um, uh, the Californian one, which the the acronym always escapes me. But we've got different rules, and and knowing your customer and who they are and where they are and what they are, B two C versus B two B, hugely valuable to a business. So it becomes about data Absolutely. management. Absolutely critical, and, and in some ways, yeah, you know, the CRM is the ideal uh, location place to capture information around. Uh, the VAT or GST number of your customer, um, you know, and that can be clicked at the point a, a customer is uh, signed up by salespeople, and that will save a lot of pain if you're front-ending that information collection, and it is all in, in your CRM where all the information on the customer can be accessed. Mm, definitely, definitely. It's 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 made me realise as a, as a customer how hard I've probably made it on some of the transactions that I've done where I just like, ah, can't be bothered with you. <laughs> I can't be bothered giving you my GST number, <laughs> Microsoft. Um, and, and then at, at the end of the day, it's like, actually, probably if, if everyone took that approach, very hard for them. Um, and that's why products can be so expensive, is to cover the admin cost. So, yeah. <laughs> and and if, if you're a business in many cases, um, like for example, if you're um, in the UK buying from a, um, a New Zealand vendor, you know, if you are registered, the New Zealand vendor won't need to charge um, VAT on consignment shipped from New Zealand. So by providing your, your tax registration number, it may be that you can eliminate being charged tax that you shouldn't be charged. If you don't provide that information, then you might find what you pay is actually higher. Yep. Yep. So it's it's about being a good customer as much as a good corporate citizen. Yeah. 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 Yeah, look, Morgan. Um, it's it's been really, really good talking. Uh, there was so much to cover, and and I think tax is one of those ones we could we could dip in and out of um, every day and have different tips. Um, but if anyone listening does want to get in touch with you to find out uh, to, to to discuss where they stand from a tax perspective internationally, uh, what's the best way to do that? What's the best way to get in touch? I think probably LinkedIn is is the easiest way. I'm on LinkedIn, so uh, connecting with me there or sending me a message. Um, I my website, which is www.i-tax.co.nz, does include a um, a blog section that does include some information, but it's, it is there's such a broad amount of information that can be put up, so it's not going to cover all situations. Um, but LinkedIn is probably the best way. The website's more of an online business card. Um, happy to have a quick chat with anyone just to point them in the right direction or, um, or provide a bit of advice. Uh, and uh, yeah. LinkedIn, I'd say. Perfect, perfect. Look, um, we'll put those. We'll put links to your profile and to the website um, in the in the show notes for this as well. Uh, but look, Morgan, uh, just thank you very much for your time. It's it's been fabulous talking. Um, made me think a little bit differently about the way uh, tax is 
discussed at a global level, let's say, you know, thinking differently about um, some of these giants who, yeah, okay, again, admittedly, they are trying to save on tax, um, but there's other benefits to them as well by, by doing it the way they are doing. Definitely. Um, and uh, no, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, to come along here because I think uh, um, tax, I think uh, indirect tax going forward is, is, has potential to be an underestimated business risk. So I, I do like, like to talk, although tax is something people don't want to talk about very often, it's very much part and parcel of uh, being in business. And uh, uh, going back to the uh, conversation previously about uh, you know, not ignoring these issues, uh, you know, I think it's, it's uh, uh, a vital but unsexy part of business and uh, a key risk to manage. Definitely, definitely. Hey, Morgan, thank you very much. Thanks, Ant. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening to BizBytes, brought to you by The IT Psychiatrist. Check out our blog at www.theitpsychiatrist.co.nz forward slash blog for bonus material and more information.